on an, what it is to be an apostolic church. And in the last two weeks, we looked at what the apostle is. It's part of the DNA of Jesus himself. Uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Ephesians 4.11 says that Jesus gave these gifts to the church. They literally are the DNA of who He is. He is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Came to reveal the Father. He's given those same DNA giftings to us, His church. Now we have in the church apostles, prophets, those offices, but also, I believe for every church, it is destined to move in that same DNA. Apostolically, prophetically, evangelistically, pastorally, and teaching. And so what we looked at the last two weeks is to see that what an apostle is, is a culture maker. If you'll remember, it comes from the word apostolos. And from Roman culture, it meant that first wave of Roman citizens going into a foreign land, bringing the culture of their kingdom, changing the language, changing the economy, changing everything, so that Rome absorbs that nation or kingdom. And so it is Jesus called His foundation leaders, His, uh, I'll call it that, leadership, apostles, from that word, so that we're to bear the kingdom of God, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so He's sending us forth that we would be His witnesses, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Now therefore, go into all nations, teaching them, baptizing them. This is apostolic to bring the kingdom of God. We're planted here on Kelly Road near Ten Mile so that we will make the culture of heaven exist here. Amen? And where you go, as you branch off into your community and in your home, we're culture makers, kingdom makers, kingdom builders. We're bringing the kingdom of God to bear in this community. That's why we're planting three more churches. We have been given a territory, a region from 8 Mile to 16, from Grosbeck to the lake. That is our region, our territory, and apostolically we are going to baptize or immerse this community with the culture of the kingdom of God. See, when people see you coming into Culver's or Cracker Barrel or uh, Charlie's or whatever out that away, uh, <laughs> they know the kingdom of God just stepped into their restaurant because you're going to treat them uh, beautifully. You're going to pray for them when you pray for your meal. You're going to leave them an amazing tip. You're going to talk to them about Jesus and they're going to think, this is awesome. Who are these people? They represent the kingdom of God. All right, that's apostolic. Now, we also recognize that apostles are not only culture makers, they're foundation builders. They're foundational. And what we looked at last week is highly essential to understand that in these days, when the, the foundation of the church has all but eroded out from under the nation of the United States, there's not much of a Christian foundation left in this nation. And as Jesus spoke to the church, I believe it was at Smyrna, or maybe it was Ephesus, He said, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. There's not much left of a Christian witness here in the United States, but you're here, so let's strengthen the church. Rebuild the foundations. Do you know that the foundational tenets, apostolic tenets of the church, are eroding within the church? There's not many churches who teach the virgin birth. Not many who teach the cross. Not many who teach sanctification and holiness. Not many who 
teach righteousness and judgment, eternal judgment and damnation. There is a gospel to be preached here. And the apostolic church goes back to the foundations and shores them up. Amen? You with me? That's who we are. Amen? And so what we're going to do this week is look at an apostolic model of the early church, and that's at Antioch. Antioch was an apostolic model of what God wanted to do in the earth. Let me read a couple scriptures to you. I'm sure most of you are familiar with Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's the command of Jesus, tarry in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high. As he said in Luke, till you are clothed with power. And he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You remember the Great Commission? Go into seven nations, right? No? Oh, you're good. You're quick. You're quick. Go into all the nations. So what does that say the expectation of God was? Yeah, he figured on world domination, okay? (laughs) Remember, he is King Jesus. And we are apostolically to bring the culture of the kingdom into all the world and build the foundations of the kingdom of God into all the world. And how could we do that? We can't do that. Ah, we've been given the power of God Himself to accomplish that. You will receive power from on high so that you will be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? Of Him, of His power, of His glory. And we will witness to this whole world who Jesus is and how that is necessary for their lives so that they will have better lives, happier lives, rejoicing in God. And so you must bear that message, right? And so I would encourage you to be happy and excited about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, and, and presenting the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. So we bring that. Now, where's it supposed to start? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the rest of the earth. So we look at the book of Acts, and in Acts 1.8, it says to do that. But in Acts 8.1, on the flip of that, you find an interesting commentary. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the church was growing in Jerusalem. It was doing quite well. Many Levites and priests were getting saved and coming into the kingdom. Uh, even on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 alone. But, and, and so it says that the church was growing radically crazy in Jerusalem. But what was the declaration to the church? I want you to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So not just Jerusalem. Start expanding. So persecution came. And isn't it interesting, who brought that persecution? A fellow named what? Yeah, Saul, Paul, right? Isn't it interesting that God used Saul as an unbeliever? And as a believer. Saul was used apostolically before he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. The man couldn't win. (laughs) He had God all over him. (laughs) 
But remember, he was zealous for the Lord, wasn't he? He loved God as he understood according to the Old Testament economy. He loved God and and was fervent for God, and God used that. And God, in fact, used Saul before he came to know Jesus for the benefit of the church. There are some persecutors in your life that God is using to expand you and to expand the kingdom of God within you. How many of you have ever felt that expansion (laughs) from the people you work with? Yeah. Just consider and pray for them that if God could do that with Saul, he can do that with anyone. Amen? That's awesome. So he got Saul to kill Stephen. Persecution came to the church. And isn't it interesting what happened to the church in Jerusalem? It scattered to where? Judea and Samaria, where they were supposed to go. And the church went, right? What did they do? They hired pastors to go for them. No. They went. Where'd the apostles go? They stayed right in Jerusalem. They did not go forth. The church went forth. You don't need to hire someone to bring the kingdom to your office, to your neighborhood, or anywhere else. You go. You represent the kingdom of God, all right? And so they went. Now, we go on in Acts 9.31, and it says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So what we see now in the history of the church is it started in Jerusalem, did a really great job, then God lit a match of persecution to get them to spread, They spread, and then they were spreading throughout the regions of Judea and and, uh, Samaria, and uh, that's cool. How many of you remember there was a revival in Samaria? They went down to Samaria, and revival broke out. Peter and John had to come down there and go, whoa, what's up with this? It's like, yeah, remember what Jesus said? This is supposed to happen. So they saw that. And so we see revival in Samaria now. So, so we see the kingdom expanding. And then a time of peace came and it's multiplying. But where haven't we gone yet? To the outer rest of the world, right? And so, if you will, please turn with me to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts 11, verse 19. Now, back when there was persecution, there were those who went into Judea, there were those who went into Samaria, but there's always a group that go a little further and try a little harder. (laughs) Thank God for that group. Acts 11, verse 19, if you'll turn there. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay, Remember, that was their mindset. They, they didn't realize. They think that this was a fulfillment of Judaism, and they really weren't getting clear that this is a gospel to all nations. Remember that? Peter went to Cornelius' house and was just floored when he saw these Romans speaking in tongues, being filled with the Spirit, and receiving salvation. He, what is this? Right? And, and so they're, they're not really fully aware of what's going on. Now, Samaritans are kind of like half-Jews. Okay, we can see them kind of coming in. God's gracious. But not pagans. But yeah, no, God's got it 
for everybody. And so they go out to the region and to Cyprus, Antioch, and speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, there were many Jews in Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. The Roman government had their palace there. And so there were many Jews in the diaspora the, the, uh, uh, when the Jews scattered years and years ago, and they settled where there was a great business area, and they were in Antioch. So these guys go into that Jewish subculture and minister Christ only to the Jews. Now let's go on, verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, or the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Woo! Wow, what's up with that? What's happening now? The gospel is starting to spread by the power of God. Remember, the hand of the Lord was upon them. They, while they're going to the Jews and they're preaching to the Jews, a couple guys from Cyrene, uh, and uh, where else was it? Cyrene and Cyprus uh, start speaking. Now we know that, um, uh, what's the fellow's name here? Hold on a second, I, I forgot. Barnabas was from Cyprus, okay? So, uh, you got some people from Cyprus going in and some people from Cyrene. And what's interesting is later on we'll see who one of those Cyrenians was. And uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, it was uh, Simon of Cyrene. And uh, if you'll remember who carried the cross of Jesus Christ when he was on the road to Calvary. Simon of Cyrene. So it quite it may quite possibly, many scholars believe that this is possibly that Simon of Cyrene who um, then moved with the Lord after the resurrection and now he's bold enough to go out even to the outer regions because he understood as a man came, coming from other nations coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's awesome, isn't it? Now, so what happens? What I want to do now is show you that this is the start of the Antioch church. And what the Antioch church is, is an expression of apostolic kingdom authority taking the gospel to the rest of the earth. Jerusalem was the founding church, but it was the mother church that Antioch grew out of, but Antioch had that apostolic foundation and culture-making building that was going on to increase the kingdom. And it's our model, more than Jerusalem, for what it means to be apostolic. And so I'm going to share with you five points on what it means to be apostolic. And the first point is a breakthrough anointing. All right? Now, if, you're, if you read popular books and literature, there's uh, many books out called Breaker Anointing, and that sense is those who will go forth where no one else will go. There's an anointing on them to be bold and courageous enough to be apostolic or step out where no other foundations have been laid. They're foundation makers, so they'll bust through. And that's what we saw here with these Cyrenians, right? That here's a couple of them, they're only going, the rest of the Christians are hanging out in the Jewish subculture of Antioch, and a couple guys say, you know what, let's go preach over there to the Greeks. Dare we? Yes, 
Let's do it. And they begin to preach. And a guy gets saved. Whoa, what's up? And another guy gets saved. Wow, this is cool. And another guy gets saved. And there's an anointing on it. And they're busting through. And they're beginning to plant a church that becomes multicultural. Do you know how separated and segregated the church is? Huh? That's not apostolic. Apostolic does not look to nationality looks to one kingdom only. That is the, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And, and, and so, uh, in fact, Simon of Cyrene is called Niger, which is in Latin, black, and believe he was a black man. And so he's moving out. He's pressing forward into Antioch and beginning to bring salvation into that area. So, number one, an apostolic church is a breakthrough church. We press forward. I want to be like that. We're a pioneering spirit. You don't have to wait for something else to happen. If it ain't happening, make it happen. If the supplies aren't there, go in faith and see what shows up. Right? Now that's not for everybody. Folks, a lot of folks need systems and methods, and sometimes you just have to go, and God will provide the rest. It's a pioneering spirit where you're not worried about how many show up or what kind of instruments do we have or is the building big enough? No, 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 no. You're bringing the kingdom of God. You're foundational. You'll just go and break through the limits. Amen? That's a breakthrough church. Breaking with, from tradition and breaking from uh, uh, the order of men into the order of God. It's a new works church. Now let's go on, verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now Barnabas, again, was Cyrenian, so he understood their culture. And also, he came being sent by the apostles. What is the word apostle? What does it mean? Sent one. So Barnabas is representing apostolic authority to the Antioch church. He's coming being sent by the apostles to see what's developing in Antioch. Just like when they sent Peter and James, uh, Peter and John down to Samaria when that outbreak of revival came. Now they're sending Barnabas. When he came and saw what? The grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? Saul. What? And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. Isn't that interesting? I mean, come on. He's thinking, this is an amazing work of God. This is awesome. I need to get someone here to bring some teaching unto these people. Who should I bring? Hmm. Peter, James, John. There's like eight other apostles too. Who could I get? I know. I'll go get Saul of Tarsus. If you'll remember about 10 years previous to this, uh, I, I believe. I, I'll have to check my numbers. But Paul got saved and began preaching in Jerusalem and caught wind that they were going to kill him. He escaped the city at night in a basket and left and retreated to Tarsus, his hometown, sitting there doing nothing. 
In this move, Barnabas remembers Saul and says, and this is the son of encouragement. This is Barnabas. He's thinking, who can I train? Who can I lead? And he goes and gets Saul and says, you are needed here. Outside of the Jewish center, he goes out to the place of Antioch to present the gospel. And Paul comes and establishes a work there for a year of teaching. Now, again, that's breakthrough thinking. Taking a risk. Do you know you always take a risk when you give a title to somebody? How many of you know that? Leadership is always a risk. You ask someone to do something, you're taking what? A risk. Who took the biggest risk of all time? Jesus. Right? Okay, you 12 who abandoned me and left me, take the kingdom. What? Are you kidding me? But it's a risk. And, and the qualifications are that the Holy Spirit will work with whatever he's got. So Barnabas, that kind of breakthrough thinking. We need someone who could reach this culture, who can represent the kingdom of God with authority and power, who's not afraid, not afraid to step into unknown territory. Can I tell you that the greatest gift in an apostolic church is faith. To be fearless. To go ahead and try it. Try it. And what if we fail? So what? How many of you know that's one of the biggest reasons we don't move out in God? We're afraid we'll fail, and we're afraid we'll disappoint Him. Come on, how many of you have been stalled by that? I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to overstep God. Don't worry about that. God's got this thing in control. I mean, you can overstep Him, and He'll fix it. Do you really think that your overstepping is going to do something that God can't handle? Or that he's going to be so disappointed with you? Right? Come on. We have got to become a people who are bold and will do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go for it. Amen? And that's what Barnabas did. He went and got him a firecracker. He went and got him a stick of dynamite. He brought Paul. And he said, man, I'm putting you to work. Let's go. Now, that had to refresh Paul. And that was a blessing. And so he gets him. And so that is amazing. Now, turn to Acts 11. Now we go to verse 27. And we see the second point. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Secondly, an apostolic church follows prophetic directives. They listen to the voice of the Spirit. Amen? We listen to the voice of the Spirit. We pray to seek directives from God. We believe God can speak to His church. In fact, God wants to direct His people. Agabus comes down from Jerusalem with a prophetic word of the Lord that a famine's coming. And how does the Antioch church respond? I love this. They believe the prophet. And say, well then, we better do something about this. A famine's coming. 
Well, let's collect our resources. Pull your money together. Let's pull a collection together here at Antioch. Let's raise funds and let's get some clothing and food and and whatever we need and let's take it to Jerusalem to the people in Judea because there's a famine coming. God said so. Don't you love that? I think that's awesome. That you hear a word of the Lord. You test it. You candle it. You see, is this of God? Candle, right? Hold an egg up to a candle. See, is there anything alive in this thing? Is there validity to this? Can Agabus be trusted? Absolutely. Then this word is sure and true. Let's act upon the word of God. Wow. How about you? How many of you want to act upon the word of God? When God quickens you to something, you act upon it. Amen? Now, that's what he's been doing in your life and wants to do it more. When you begin to open up and walk into the prophetic realm where you listen to what God says and you do it. You listen and you do it. Again, it takes boldness, doesn't it? It takes breakthrough to go through the door. There might be an open door and how many of us have walked by it? I've walked by a million of them. I really have. And I knew that the Lord wanted me to do something and I walked by it. I was just timid or shy or whatever. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to take the risk and take the chance. And so that is an apostolic work. They hear a word from the Lord, a directive of God, and they move on that directive. The more you will do this, the more keen you will be in observing the word of the Lord. He will speak and you will hear so clearly and you will act. And you'll get so used to the tenor of his voice. You'll get so used to when it's you or him because you're acting on it and you're understanding it in a greater manner. And that is apostolic, to listen to a prophetic word and move forward. And so that's what they did. And it was by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So as Barnabas and Saul are bringing the goods into Jerusalem, what are the apostles seeing? I'm impressed. You guys took the leadership. You heard we had a problem. You took the leadership to make a collection and bring it to us. No one told you to do that. There wasn't a memo sought out by James, the head of the church. There was no one else who said, I need this, please help here. It was a prophetic word. They took the initiative. They took the leadership and pioneered a work and went to get the job done. That's apostolic. We need to pray over this community, this region we've been given. What does God say about it? Where does God want us to go? Where does God want us to plant those three churches? I don't want to just plant three churches wherever we want. There's a vacant building over on 16 and, and, and Gratiot. Well, let's go for it. Is that where God wants us? We need to hear a prophetic directive, and we need to move on what God is saying. And it may be really weird. Some of you say, what are you talking about? God wants us to meet at the building that just got tore down at Macomb Mall. (laughs) I don't know. I'm making it up. You say, you can't do that. Well, if the Lord tells us to do it, let's do it. Let's be bold enough to start doing these things, right? Amen. Let's go on. We go on. Now, turn with me to Acts 13, verse 1. Number 3. After being deliberate and intentional to the prophetic word and unction of God, they also operated in the fivefold ministry. Acts 13, 1-3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. 
Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now we know that Barnabas was sent by the apostles, so he was operating apostolically. He also went and got the leadership, Saul, as a teacher. So we see that not only are there prophets and teachers, but we also see the apostolic. Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts 14. So Barnabas is apostolic. Paul becomes apostolic. They're sent ones. And so you have apostles, prophets, and teachers in the church of Antioch. You see a multiplicity of leadership here according to the giftings, the gift richness of the church. I want a gift rich church, not a get rich church. Amen? Who wants that with me? A gift-rich church. Make a bumper sticker, somebody, or a t-shirt. Put that on there. We're a gift-rich church, not a get-rich church. And a gift-rich church can accomplish what God needs to get done because of the five-fold DNA of Jesus acting and interacting to build the kingdom. The apostolic builds the foundation. The prophetic says, thus saith the Lord, Right, The evangelistic reaches to get that community on that foundation. The pastor shepherds them and pulls them in and the teacher instructs them and builds them up. And this fivefold is operating. It's a synergy. It's a power. In fact, it is the life of Jesus Himself in our midst. That's the Antioch church. And out of that, God can call. See, what's happening is leadership's building up. Leadership is developing among these men you have listed in this group of men those who were the founders these are the guys remember while everybody else was just talking to the jews a couple of these guys are the ones who went out into the greeks then barnabas is sent in authority and he's part of that mix too and he pulls in paul and now you've got the a-team going that's what antioch stands for the a-team these all, each of these guys have skills. They're evangelists, aren't they? When you think about it, that Simon and the other fellow were the evangelists who went further than everybody else did. And so you've got the prophetic, you've got the evangelistic, you've got the teaching, you've got the shepherding, and you've got apostolic. You've got fivefold here. And this is essential. Now, it's funny to me, you know, you go ahead and look on the internet about fivefold teaching and everything, and, and there's a resurgence of it. And, and uh, can I tell you why? Because God said, I'm going to build my church. Jesus, I'm going to build my church. This is the blueprint he always had. People put it away and said, no, the pastor's going to build the church. It's all about the pastor. It's like, "Ah, could we go back to like my plan? Because this ain't working. So Jesus' plan is to build the church. And I find it interesting, the criticism against fivefold ministry. The people who criticize fivefold ministry are cessationists. All right, cessation means that the gifts ceased so you can't have a five-fold ministry because there are no more apostles and prophets today. Just evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What does that say about the ministry of Jesus? It's not fully functioning in the church, right? There's a distortion here to the DNA. It doesn't look like Jesus because you're not using the full DNA of Jesus. So the church doesn't look or act like Jesus because it's missing two genes <laughs> Two pieces of DNA. You've got a deformity here in the body of Christ. And so we need that five-fold ministry to represent fully Jesus Christ. And so that is equipping a gift-rich church. And so we see that here 
in Antioch. Now, the fourth point. It says in verse 2, while they were worshiping, King James says, ministering to the Lord and fasting. Aw, man, they don't need to minister to God. They don't need to worship and fast. I mean, these guys are heavyweights. These are all-stars. They don't need to pray as much because they just got so anointed. They're so close to Jesus that they really don't have to pray as much. You know how many people think that? You're so close to Jesus. God just gives you everything, doesn't he? You don't get anything from God until you spend time with God. I find it interesting. Now, I don't know how this is going to correlate or relate over, but I find it interesting when I listen to virtuosos, I listen to people who are experts on on violin or cello or guitar, any musicians who are the top ranking in the world. They practice eight to ten hours per day. I just thought they were gifted. That gift must be exercised. It must be used. If you're going to represent Jesus, you need to spend time with Jesus. If you're going to bring kingdom issues to bear in the physical realm, you got to know how to deny yourself and apply the kingdom to bear in a situation. Amen? We need more fasting in our lives. Less flesh, more fast so that we can bring the kingdom, more prayer, ministering unto Jesus, ministering unto the Lord. They knew how to worship. An apostolic church knows how to bring the presence of God in our midst. Amen? Baptismal candidates, you're dismissed to get ready for baptism. And so as we get ready to bring the kingdom, we must know how to worship and fast in the presence of God. When we are in that place, we create an ability for God to speak. For God to speak. When you came this morning to worship, you came to bring a sacrifice.